0: You know that feeling when you just finish watching an entire series on Netflix and you're like, man, I think I just lost a friend. Uh, What's going to be next? It's kind of like that for me today. We're just finishing up. This is the final message after 16 weeks of going through the book of Exodus. It's like no more Moses on Sunday morning, so I'm kind of like, I'm I'm struggling with that. We've had, I think, over 70 days of podcasts going verse by verse uh, through this amazing book uh, of the Bible. We've had folks that have gone through a reading plan. Uh, We've had uh, folks who've done uh, Exodus uh, sermon-based small groups. And so there's just been a lot of work, really, over the last four months through Exodus. And so we believe in competition around here, right? I mean, we believe that it's important occasionally to compete. Now, not a lot of people believe that, but I believe it's important to compete. Nobody, We don't just give out participation trophies around here. I mean, you gotta, you got to go to work. So we have, it's going live, it's, it's actually live right now on our website. We have a, a final exam, an Exodus final exam for all of you who want to take that. I know that's not for everybody, but some of you want to say, you know what? I think I know more than the next guy about Exodus. So we're going to give you a chance to kind of of see how you can do. And so judging from kind of the response I'm getting from you guys, probably not a lot of you are going, but it's going to be fun. So if you've kind of gone through this with us, let me just tell you, you can go online, you can take the test. It is not, here's the number one question, is it open book? No, it's not. It's been open book throughout the whole series, right? You should have had your book open before, and now it's closed book. And what about those who cheat? Other people said, what about those who cheat? Let me just tell you something about that. If you cheat on an exam at a, a church, kind of for fun exam, there is a much deeper, much deeper problem going on. So call our next steps phone, 615 25 steps. We'd love to talk, uh, talk with you. But for those of you who, uh, you know, the winner, uh, we have got a, a really cool family pack uh, for you and your family. Do some fun stuff in and around uh, Murphy's World for Christmas. And we've got a killer staff like Moses. We're not sure it's exactly like Moses, but you have a killer Moses staff. You can walk into church uh, next Sunday morning. And just be a boss with Moses' staff. So it's a chance to do that. So you can, you can go online and take that. If there is a tie, some people say, what about a tie? Then we're just going to draw them out of a hat. We'll cast lots because we're totally biblical around here. So hope you'll take advantage of that. Now, here we go. We are in our final, uh, final message in this series, Exodus chapter uh, 35. And we're going to look at a really interesting passage as the children of Israel are being asked by Moses, uh, who is a, a representative of, of the Lord, God speaking to the children to raise some money. And so we're going to talk about money. And you're like, oh, great. I'm really glad that I showed up uh, for that. But let me just tell you something that might relax you. We haven't taken an offering here in nine months. Like, to be honest with you, I don't even know where our offering plates are. I mean, I, I, I'm not exactly sure uh, where they are. And uh, we don't, uh, it's not like we're about, we're not trying to build something. So we're not trying to raise money to build something. The, the church isn't in a bad spot where we're desperate for for money it's not about that it's just really us stopping first of all we're going through the book of exodus and this is exactly where we are in the book of exodus so it would be a disservice to god if we didn't cover this passage right but i think it really can help us on an issue that we talk about our our need to to know a whole lot about but here's this statement You, you know sometimes people say it's not about the money you ever hear anybody say that it's not about the money you know what they mean it's about the money. Anytime somebody says that, it's always about the money. Well, you know, you say that, well, we, we had somebody came over, did some work, and we paid them, they didn't completely do all the work we wanted them to do, and so it's not about the money, we just want them to come back and do the work. No, it's about the money. Right? It's, it's usually always about the money. But when we study Scripture and see what God has to say, the truth of the matter is it's not about the money. It's about a whole lot more. But anytime we look at money in Scripture, in fact, Jesus talks about it really more than he talks about any other topic. There's something that God really wants to teach us. So let's dig in here. Exodus chapter 35. We'll pick up in verse 4. And uh, when you read Exodus chapter 35, if you've been reading through the book of Exodus, you're like, I think I've already read this, like all this stuff about the tabernacle and everything that's going to be in the tabernacle and and, and all the sacrifices that are to be offered. And and it seems like I've already read it because you have. It's in here two uh, separate times, pretty much the same exact things. In in some ways, if you read a commentary on Exodus 35, they'll say, go back and look at Exodus chapter 25, because it's really the same stuff. And so why is that? Well, Because this is kind of an issue as it relates to our money, we're kind of a little stubborn on. And so the children of Israel had been lax in building this tabernacle. And so what was a tabernacle? Let's talk about it just a little bit. I mean, this was a tent. portable tent because they were on the move. They hadn't yet made it to the promised land. They're on the the move. And it's a tent where they would go and worship the Lord. It's, first of all, where God's presence resided physically. God was there in in, in, in and around the Ark of the Covenant. So they knew the presence of the Lord was there. It's where they would offer sacrifices uh, for their sins. It was really to be the central place in the community where they would gather and they would worship the Lord and offer sacrifices for their sins. So it's a big deal, and they're getting to be involved with God on something that's really important. So let's look at verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. So that's a pretty cool thing. If a preacher's talking about money, he gets to say, this is not me. This is what God has said. So that, that, that's good. Verse 5, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. So let's talk about that a little bit. From what you have. Like, so what did they have? This is an important thing. If you've been studying with us, this is why uh, we love going through books of the Bible because we just learn so much systematically and it helps us kind of put pieces together. Listen, everything they had, been, they had been slaves in Egypt, right? For, for 430 years, they had been slaves. There was nobody, uh, none of these uh, Israelites are coming from old money. I mean, they didn't have anything. Everything they had was something that God had given them. If you go back in Exodus chapter 12, when the, when the plagues are coming to an end and the Egyptians are ready for them just to get out and Pharaoh releases them as they're on their way out of town. God says, just ask your Egyptian neighbors for stuff. And God made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the Hebrews. So they're just asking them for jewelry and they're just giving it to them, right? And so everything they had was just this grace gift of of God, right? And so here's the other thing. Now, this offering that's being taken for the tabernacle, if you study Scripture, there are multiple times throughout Scripture that God calls uh, different groups of people for a special offering, for a special purpose and a special place in time. It's first of all for this tabernacle to be built. Uh, you see it again uh, when uh, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem is being built. You see it over in the New Testament in the book of Acts when there's a famine and the church at Jerusalem is suffering. And so all these churches that Paul had started are taking up an offering for them. It's a special offering for a special purpose and in, uh, in, in time. And so Let's watch this. From what you have taken offering for the Lord, everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Now, so these are pretty extravagant gifts. You have gold, silver, and, and, and bronze. You have scarlet yarn. Anytime there's any color a, a material has been dyed or colored in, in, in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, you know that's a pretty extravagant gift because the process of doing that was tough. So blue, purple, scarlet, scarlet yarn, fine linen. What's the last one? Goat hair. That, like, doesn't seem to fit, does it? Like, gold, silver, and bronze, you got that, bring that. You know, fine linen. And if anybody's got any goat hair, just just bring that as well. And so we read that, and we're like, hmm, Moses, I... uh, not tracking with you there, but this there's, this is very very significant. And that's one of the, the amazing things I love about studying the Bible. If something gives you pause, you're like, I don't. That is weird. You ought to pause there because there's probably something pretty amazing that God wants to reveal to us. The goat's hair. First of all, how did you get goat's hair? Well, you got goat's hair from brushing a goat right, and, and and here's the thing. I mean, not everybody could bring gold because not everybody had a whole lot of stuff, but I mean, if you, if you were poor, I mean, you could always go to your neighbor and say, hey, I know this sounds weird. Um, you mind if I brush your goat? Who's gonna turn you down on that, right? They needed to do that anyways. You brush your goat and they got goat's hair and they brought that. And so it's really saying that everybody can be involved in this. This is just a great principle. Everybody can be involved in this. And we're talking about money here. Here's the thing. With God, it's really not about the money because watch this, this is so important. Like we, we're, we're prone to think, well, like, yeah, the gold is needed. Like God could really use that. Let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something. This is so important. Please listen. God doesn't need anything, Sometimes I hear messages on giving, and it really almost sounds like God's kind of short for the month. God's come up a little short. We need to help him out here to kind of make ends meet. God doesn't need anything. Does that make sense? I'm having trouble connecting to you guys. You understand? God doesn't need anything, right? But he can use everything. And even the even the children, I can just see just a young child that's wanting to bring an offering, and she goes and she brushes a neighbor's goat and brings that goat hair. And in God's economy, He takes that and does something powerful. You see, the goat hair was used. If you go on and read in the section, the goat hair was used. It was woven together and it's used to make uh, rope and tassel and all these things that they needed inside the tabernacle. In fact, this kind of blows my mind. In fact, when the high priest would go into the holy of holies to offer sacrifices for the people once a year, that's a pretty significant event, right? In the old Testament, right? Uh, he had something tied onto his ankle. Anybody know what that was? Rope. Oh, goat's hair rope, right? And so you just, you see how, how God uses that and it's significant. So it, it, it's, really a, it's really a powerful thing. So let, let, let's read on it. verse 20. Skip all the way down to verse 20. So Moses is, is challenging them to bring this offering to, to the Lord and tells them that everybody can, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, we can all be generous. And then verse 20, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. Like Moses just finished preaching a message on giving and everybody left. I, was, I went back, I never do this. I cannot stand to listen to myself preach. I never go back and watch a message because it's like, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. I don't know how you guys do it, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, some, some of you are saying, I thought Nick was preaching today. That's even why I'm here. But anyways, tricked you. Um, but, but for me, I can't do that. I, I preached on this passage years ago. And so I wanted to go back and, and uh, look at that. And I remember when I was watching it, I remember after the message was over we literally had an exodus. We were, I preached on this passage because we were raising money to build this building here. And, um, and I think it, it, was, it was a good passage for that, but we had a lot of people that left. They were, they were angry. They felt like, you know what, it's just about building big buildings and just not about ministry and so whatever. But they, 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 just, they just left. And so here's the thing. Every time I preach. I think this. Some, pe- some, some people say this, they say, you know what, we talked to you or saw you after the sermon on Sunday or in the parking lot or in the hallway and you're not very friendly. Sometimes people say that about me, I'm, I'm not very friendly. Now, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, if you know me, it's not that I, I'm, I'm not an unfriendly guy. I think if people know me, you would say I'm fairly friendly if you know me. Sherry, did you? Yeah, I mean, I know you, right? We're cool, all right, aren't we? Yeah, I think so, <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm hoping that would be like super awkward if she'd, you, no, you're, you're, you're not friendly. I mean, I am probably not as not as friendly as Nick I and mean, he's got this just you know you know larger than life personality but 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 the real point is after I'm done preaching that's why I'm talking about this Moses gets done preaching everybody leaves when I'm done preaching my mind starts racing I'm like man I hope I said lord I hope I said what you wanted me to say I hope I communicated in a in a clear manner I hope I wasn't boring I, I hope your word was honored and I hope the people understood what it is that you wanted them to understand so I just sort of I sort of play those games in my mind, and so I'm kind of distracted. I mean, even Amy will say sometimes on Sunday afternoon, she'll just be like, you're not really here, are you? Because I'm kind of going back over over the day. And so that's kind of, Moses preaches this message, first time ever to ask a group of former slaves for an offering, right? Bring your gold, bring all this stuff. And he's like, and everybody walks away. And he's like, I don't know how that went. Now, verse 21 tells us how it went. "'And everyone who was willing, whose heart moved them, "'came and brought an offering to the Lord "'for the work on the tent of the meeting.'" are on this tabernacle for all of its service and for the sacred garments. The sacred garments would be uh, the, the garments or the clothing that the priests would wear when they're offering sacrifices. So what, what just happened? Moses did his part, and then the Holy Spirit of God did his part, and it spurred the people to give. So the people were giving, not because of what Moses said, but because of God taking that and moving and working in their heart, and they wanted to be involved in something far greater than themselves. So it's a it's, it's pretty, pretty cool thing. So let, let, let's look at a couple things. Today, just, just very, very, uh, very quickly, uh, this morning, I will have to tell you that we had. I, I don't I, it was almost like a little miracle in the last service. I, I was like running way late, some of you know, because it was late getting in here. And I just said, Pray that God will stop time still, because He's done that. Stand, stand still, time. And I looked down, and my clock that's right here, you see the clock right beside you, it's on It went, it was off. I was like, Yeah come to find out somebody had just tripped over a cord and pulled that out. But I was like, God's done it. He's done it right here in our midst today. So it's really, really cool. <laughs> it's a true story. But as it thinks about, think about money, right? Seventy percent of our waking hours are spent on, on money, like spent earning, spent on earning money, on spending money, like every third vehicle in our neighborhood. Our neighborhood is an Amazon delivery truck right now, right? Our saving money, investing money maybe, or worrying about money, college students, yeah. You know, we, we think about money a lot. And it's Jesus, it's seemingly Jesus' most popular topic. He talks about money more than he talks heaven, about heaven and hell combined. And so maybe there's something there, right? And I, I, think, I think it is. And so but anytime God's talking about money, it's really not about the money, it's about something else. So let's look and see what it is, right? I'm gonna share four things, right, with you that I, I think it is. It's not about the money, but here's what I think it's about. We see it in this passage. Number one, it's about everyone growing in generosity. That's what's happening here from gold. To goat's hair right from gold to goat's hair says everybody can be involved if you got a lot you can be involved if you got nothing you, you, you can brush a neighbor's goat and bring some gold's hair because all of us need to grow in generosity would you agree with that that you could grow in generosity and not just generosity with your money generous being generous with your words with your time all, all those things we could grow in in generosity now now here's the thing exodus here's what's happening this is so cool Exodus is a book that really shows us what God is up to, and God is taking a group of people out of captivity. He is releasing them from captivity, and he's marking them. In other words, he's doing a fresh work in their life so that they can show the nature of God to the nations, and one of the things that God is doing uh, in these Hebrews is he's marking them with generosity, Right, And so consequently, that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to grow us in generosity. And let me say this, and I know it seems peculiar for a preacher to say something like this. But, but some of you, and this is a hard thing to say. Some of you are here, some of you are watching online. We're so thankful for those who are watching online. Thankful for those who are at Buchanan watching right now. Some of you will never yield your life to faith in Christ. I wish you would more than anything else. But I would say this, even if you never surrender to Christ as savior, don't be a greedy person. Cuz it'll destroy every relationship you have. Grow in generosity, right? Now, If you know a little bit about history, you're a history major, history buff. In about 117 A.D. in Rome, there was a new Caesar who came to power. Uh, His name was Hadrian, Caesar Hadrian. And Hadrian was, um, history tells us, he was a religious man. It wasn't a Christian man. He was a religious man. He he built, um, uh, one thing that he built was the temple to Venus because he was a religious man but hadrian was taken with a small group that was growing called a group that just they referred to as the way these are our ancestors of the faith. These are their first followers of Jesus Christ, Christians. They referred to themselves as the way. And so this Roman Caesar, this emperor, is, is watching them and he's concerned because they're growing. They're growing in number, they're growing in influence. And he wants to uh, he perhaps sees them a bit as a threat. So he sends someone from his cabinet to spy on them. It's a man named Aristides. And I, I know I probably said that uh, wrong, and then somebody will email me. Bless God for you. Um, but, but he says to Aristides, he said, go and check on these people. See what's up with them. See what makes them tick, my words, not his, and then report back. And so what I want to read to you is Aristides, a, a, a summary of what he writes back to Hadrian, talking about our forefathers of the faith, first, sec- our or really second, third century followers of Christ. He says, they love one another, and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting, And when they see a stranger, they take him in to their homes and rejoice over him as if he was their very brother. And if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast for three or four days in order to supply food to their needy friend who lacks it. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in their midst." It's fascinating, isn't it? So, so, so what does this spy on second century Christians, what, what, what does he see? He sees a group of people that are marked by what? Generosity. So has a great question for us as we think about today, whether you're watching online or, you're whether, or whether you're here. Am I marked by generosity? Am I a person that is marked by the generosity of God in my life? Second, it's really not about the money, but watch this. It's about the question of ownership. This is really, really important. Now, one of the things that we see here in this text, and it's why it's so excited to, to, to talk about it, is here's one of the things that these Hebrews knew that we have a hard time with. They knew everything they had was just a gift of God. All the resources that they would have had. Listen, they didn't hold any, own any lands. They weren't able to, to start running businesses yet. So everything they had was just something that God had blessed them with on their way out of Egypt. Does that make sense? You see that? So it's pretty clear that they understood something that everything they had wasn't their own uh they hadn't earned that they were just given that you know here's a myth about money and and listen i understand i I had had, there was a guy here on thursday night if looks could have killed he was i was a dead man thursday night i mean he was mad you could tell he was mad at everything i was saying you know and I, i i i get that we'll talk about that in just a moment here's a myth about money what's mine is mine i believe that's a myth I don't believe that's accurate, but here's the pushback. And let's just go there because I get it. You're like, hey, hey, preacher, don't, don't talk to me about that. I work hard for mine. Well, we should work hard in our jobs. That's a whole other topic, right? We should work as unto the Lord. Of course we should do that. But I want to I wanna, I wanna make us think about that just a little bit. Is it really mine? Listen, here's what I know. I know, I know this. I know there's a, there's a lot of people that don't work as hard. Or, or listen, let me say that again. There are a lot of people who work a lot harder than I do that make a whole lot less money than I do. Some of you are like, yeah, I can see that. Right? Does that make sense? What is that true about you? Are are there people that, you know what, work a whole lot harder than you and make a whole lot less money? I I think about this. Every time I'm in in Laura Press in the Dominican Republic in a little community that we serve in, and Amy and I have been there just multiple, multiple times as you're going in and out of the community, cross over a bridge, I can still see it in my mind's eye. There's some dude standing down in this uh, river uh, bed there, just a dry river bed, just full of sand. They're standing there with a shovel, and they wait. They're waiting on a dump truck from the city, from Santo Domingo, to come out there. And that dump truck pulls up, backs down into that uh, uh, old riverbed, and these guys go to work. And they fill that dump truck up with sand with their shovels. Now, here's what I know about those guys. They work a lot harder than I do. And they make a lot less money than I do, right? My guess is that that's probably true about about you. But But, but here's what we're seeing. Everything that we have, it's really... It's really a grace gift from God to us. Let's go listen to what the Scripture says. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Look at this. We'll put it up on the screen. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for, help me, everything in heaven and earth is whose? Yours, right? Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. So, what does the Bible teach us? That everything that we have ultimately belongs to us. So, the real question here it is a long way around the barn. You're like, get to your point. Here it is. The real question about your money is this as it relates to your money, do you live like an owner or do you live like a steward? A steward is a manager right? That's an important question. Because stewardship is this stained glass churchy word. What does it mean to be a steward? It means that I'm managing God's resources for God's glory. Now, again, I understand that everything I have, it's God's. It's God's gift. That's what these Hebrews understood, right? Because then they're leaving. I mean, isn't it strange that you would be leaving town as a slave and people are just giving you gifts? People that have enslaved you for 430 years, now they're just lavishing great gifts on you. They would have understood that that was just a gift of God in their life. Now think about this. So if we live our life like a manager, a manager doesn't need to feel guilty about their stuff. There's so many believers. I wish I had more time to press into this. So many people I know, and they just feel so guilty about their stuff. A manager doesn't have to feel guilty about his stuff. He or she just needs to be responsible. Do you understand the difference? That's a big difference, right? And, and, and watch this. God never condemns wealth. I grew up thinking God was mad at rich people, right? God doesn't condemn wealth, only greed, It's the love of money, right? And so, it's an important thing. Look look at this passage, Malachi chapter three, ten. Preachers love this. I'm going to touch on it kind of a different angle. Than, than most. This is a passage. Every time there's a giving message, a preacher always brings this one out. He's got this in his back pocket, right? Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, if you, want, if, if you want to get technical, I understand what's happening in Exodus chapter 35 is an offering which is different than a tithe. And if you want to go do a study, it's a worthwhile study to do the difference. A tithe just simply, I believe, is that consistent pattern of giving that I do. And an offering is just a special point in time. So I get that. That's a worthwhile study. You could do that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be, food in my house, here's the part I want to press into. Test me in this. It's really the only time in Scripture God says to test me in this. Test me in what? I think part of what the Lord is saying is, is, is going to, are you going to test me? And, and, and here's the question, are you going to live like an owner or are you going to live like a manager? That's really, that's really the test that's in front of us as it relates to money. Here's really the only option you have. You're going to live like an owner, like it's all yours, or you're going to live like a manager that's all God. So money is a test. Am I an owner or a steward? Let's look at the third thing. Everybody doing okay here? Doing all right? Good, two of you? Here we go. It's not about the money, but it is about growing in generosity. Could we grow in generosity as a people? sure. God's generous to us, and it it looks so much like our Father when we live generously. Number two, it's not about the money, but it is beginning to live my life like a manager instead of an owner. Number three, it's not about the money, but it is about having proper motivation. Now, let's talk about this for just a second, all right? Proper motivation, because anytime somebody like me is talking about money, and I've done it a lot through the years, right? Anytime somebody like me is talking about money, it elicits a lot of emotion, right? A lot of emotion. Sometimes it elicits anger. And some of you, and let's be, I'm giving you the freedom to feel that. It is okay. It is okay for you to sit here today because somebody invited you. It's your first time to be here and you're talking about, and the preacher's talking about money, and it's okay to be angry, right? But here's what I'm asking. Walk the line of that emotion. See where that's coming from. Maybe your anger is justified, And maybe everything that I'm saying doesn't line up with the truth of Scripture. Dig in there, find out, right? I mean, if you're angry, find out. I would encourage you to do that, right? Or maybe, watch this, maybe this, maybe your anger is pointing to something else that's going on, because here's the thing. We all have idols in our life. Didn't we look at that last week, right? We all have golden calves, right? And when somebody starts messing with your idol, the fangs come out, right? and we get angry, and maybe anger is really a healthy thing to show us, right, that something is really kind of unhealthy below the surface, right? So we, we have a lot of improper motivations as it comes to money. Sometimes we're motivated to give because of guilt. I think churches have done that a lot in the past. I never want to do that again. In fact, we have said around here, and, and, and it's really a core belief at New Vision, we don't want anything from you, we do want something for you. Have you heard us say that? We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. We have said before here, when we used to pass plates, When maybe we'll find them one day, I don't know where they are. When we used to pass and we said, if you need something, take something, right? You, you see that? So it's, it's really not about, it's not, not, really, not really about that, right? So we're not trying to guilt you with, with, with anything. What I am trying to do is say, what is the proper motivation for giving? Sometimes we give because we want to earn favor, right? We say, God, remember last year, when I gave, remember that? And we think we're going to give, so God, you're going to give back, and God's beholden to us. That's an improper motivation. There's a lot of people that teach that. It's just not true, right? God isn't beholden to anybody. you understand that? You see? That didn't go over well. And sometimes we give to kind of validate ourselves, to make us feel good about ourselves, right? Give me a plaque. I gave so you can look and see what I've done. But all those are improper motivations, and I think there's really only one proper motivation. Now watch this. If you get nothing else I say, I say this a lot, but here's the one thing I want you to take away. Look at, look at verse 21, Exodus chapter 35, verse 21. This is really a proper motivation for giving. And everyone who was willing, these Hebrews, whose heart was moved, that is at a deep emotional and spiritual level. That's, they came and they brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of the meeting and for all its service and for the sacred, go- uh, uh, sacred garment. So, so, what happened? They had proper motivation. Now, now watch this. This is super important. Listen, here is a group of people that are just bringing a gift to the Lord that just a few weeks ago when Moses is up on the mountain of God hearing for God from 40 days after he had given them the law, the Ten Commandments, and in Exodus chapter 24, they said after hearing the Ten Commandments, they made a covenant that they were going to obey those commandments, and 40 days later, they're throwing their jewelry off and they're going to Aaron they're saying, hey, build us a calf. We want to worship it. I mean, I'm talking 40 days later, after they'd committed to God, now they're just giving themselves to the false god. Here, here's what it was like. Here's what it would be like. It'd be like somebody having an affair on their honeymoon. Well, That just got real, didn't it? I mean, that's messed up. Everybody in here, whether you grew up in church or didn't, I mean, you would agree, that is super messed up, right? You get married, you... Head up to Gatlinburg for a week, three days in, you find out who you married is, you, you know, your spouse has, has been with somebody else. Is that heartbreaking? Can you, Im- listen, I do a lot of weddings. Can you imagine the pain of, of being a bride or a groom and three days into your wedding on your honeymoon, the other person has been unfaithful to you? I want you to feel that for a second. Do you feel that? Do you feel anything? I feel that, Don't you? Is it, time to, is it time to go already? Oh, man, I'm sorry. I feel, I feel rushed. Let's pray again that the clock would stop. Do you mind just unplugging that? That would be, just take it, kick that sucker over. Yes, no problem. No problem here. And you say, this is exactly what they did. I mean, they had made a commitment to their God after receiving the law that they would be faithful to him, and 40 days later, they are worshiping a serving a false God. The point is, they should have been destroyed because of their sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, spared them. And now in chapter 35, on the other side of that, they are giving generously to God. Why? Because they realized one thing. They had passed over from death to life through the grace and the mercy of their God, and that is the only proper motivation for giving. Anything else always falls short. Anything else is not biblical. It's just somebody trying to guilt you and shame you and to mo- manipulating you. True generosity always flows from a heart that is thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. Does that make sense to you? True generosity always flows from a heart that is thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. Look at Romans chapter five, verse 20. As the music's playing, I'm almost done, right? Watch this. I love this verse, man. This is so good. This has got to be in the top 10. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. What is that? We got the Ten Commandments to show us that we were sinners. You know, understand, we didn't get the Ten Commandments to say, hey, keep these and you'll be right with God. We got the Ten Commandments to say that there's nobody who can keep any of these, right? And so we need someone who has kept them for us. That's the righteous one, Jesus. But watch it. The law was brought in so that the trespass, which means sin, might increase. Watch this. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased in your life, do you know what has increased all the more? The grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you some good news today? You cannot out-sin the cross of Jesus Christ. You see it? Is that a powerful truth? It's a, I mean, that's a powerful truth. I mean, that's what the scripture is saying. And so why are we talking about that? That is the only proper motivation for generous giving. It is the grace of mercy in God in our life. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, watch this, just, just, just real fast. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not because somebody's trying to guilt you or shame you. Please, God, I haven't asked anybody in any of, the, any of the services. I want you to just be honest, just like we're having a small group here. I haven't asked this question. Does it feel like we're trying to guilt you or shame you today? We're not, we're not, taking, we're not about to pass the plate. We're not asking you to sign some card to, for the next three years. I just want you to see God's heart for you because it is so liberating. Liberating. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In 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 the Greek, it can also be translated a hilarious giver. And you say, well, why would anybody be a hilarious giver? Because they realize the amazing gift of God's grace when they were dead in their sin, deserving judgment that God has forgiven us. Listen, I know who I am. I know what I've done, and I know what I deserve. And God has been rich in grace and mercy to forgive me and reconcile me, a dead man, with him. So So the real question concerning your money, here's another one, the real question concerning your money is what motivates you? Anything other than the grace of God is an improper motivation. Let me just get raw for a second. It's gonna seem strange. I think being a pastor in the southeastern part of the United States may be as tough as any place in the world. And you say, well, I think just the opposite. Okay, maybe you're right. But here's why I think it's tough. Because everybody in the South thinks they're a Christian. Everybody, man. Like, to be honest, I've been here all my life. I know very few people who don't think they're right with God because their mama was a Christian, their granddaddy was a pastor. They grew up in church. I've heard that, I grew up in church. I come back to that, and I'm not trying to be funny, so this is not humorous, but so did Hitler. Look it up. But, but, but you see, in the South, it is cultural Christianity. You know what cultural Christianity is? It's really a God who makes no demands on us. A cultural Christian has God on retainer. Do you know what I mean by that? To say they have God on the retainer is really this, hey, I got it, but if I'm I'm in a ditch, I'll call you. Like when I have a a doctor's appointment, there's a diagnosis, I'll give you a shout. A cultural Christian doesn't live sacrificially in their life. There's, There's no cost to following Christ. To be honest, a cultural Christian really doesn't have any need for Christ. You say, what in the heck are you talking about? Because a cultural Christian really believes this, that good people go to heaven, and I'm good. I'm not like the dude you were talking about had an affair on his honeymoon. I'm better than him. Do you see that? But what money does is it really gives us a glimpse of of our heart. So let's look at the fourth and and final thing. Here's the point I want to make on that. Please, please forgive me. This is my fourth time to preach, and everything just gets jumbled in my mind. Here's the point I want to make. You know why a lot of people don't give? Cuz they haven't received. That's why. They haven't received. If you haven't received the grace and the mercy of God and the forgiveness to bring you from death to life, you don't have that motivation. So everything I'm talking about is just stupid, right? And foolish. But when you have received, then that motivation to give is natural because of who I am and what I have. Let's look at the fourth and final thing. This is the last thing. It's really not about the money, but it is about everyone growing in generosity. It's not about the money, but it is about a question of ownership. You're gonna live like an owner, you're gonna live like a manager. It's not about the money, but it is about having a proper motivation. The grace of God is the only proper motivation. It's not about the money, but it is about moving from fear to faith. You know, here's the thing. Fear is a greater deterrent to you not giving than greed. And we tend to build financial security in our lives by withholding from God. That's what human beings do. Can I just tell you something? Watch this. It may offend you. I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm just, I'm just observing the culture that we live in today. In almost 30 years of ministry, I've probably never seen more fear than I see today. Never seen more anxiety among college students, to be honest with you, than we're we're seeing today in every facet of every facet of our culture. We believe you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, what's going to happen with this? You know what we've we've had a a, a political change, and so what's that going to do uh, to our economy? And so here's what I hear people saying: with all the racial unrest, the sky is falling. The sky is falling, and we're living in fear. Can I tell you something today? Listen, listen. The sky is not falling. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because I know who put the stars in their place, and it's not falling. Now, listen. You're clapping, which is cutting and making me go over. That's why. Colossians chapter one verse sixteen. I wasn't trying to be rude. I'm just trying to get finished on time. Colossians 1:16, listen to this. listen. For in him all things were created. Do you believe that? In the Lord Jesus, He spoke everything into existence. Things in heaven and things on earth visible and invisible. whether thrones, look at this. whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, what is it saying? Jesus is in control of who's in control. sky's not falling. And all things have been created through him and for him. He's going to use it for his glory. He's going to use it for his glory. Look at verse 17. This will help you. He is before all things. He's seen it before. He is before all things. And in him, read it with me. And in him, all things, what? Hold together. Let's say it again. And in him, meaning in Jesus, all things hold together. Does that help you today? In him, all things hold together. So I don't have to live in fear. But watch this that's why many times we don't give because we live in fear about the future can i just tell you something today about your finances and some of you're like you're not a financial planner bro i've got one of those i don't need to listen to you what i'm saying is true right you'll never get ahead you don't get ahead financially by withholding from god just doesn't work and you say well how do you know that watch this We withhold from God because of fear. Do you remember Exodus chapter 16? Do you remember when the children of Israel were were hungry in the wilderness and God brought them something to eat every morning? What was it? Help me here. It's called manna. And, And In Exodus chapter 16, God tells them, He gives them specific instructions about the manna. He says, you go out every morning and you gather just what you need for your family. And it was very specific about how much they would gather and no more. Because every day he wanted them dependent upon him except the Sabbath. And they would gather a double double portion for the Sabbath day, right? The Bible is very clear about that. Is that what the children of Israel did? No. They did exactly what we do. They said, I'm not sure it will be here tomorrow. It was good. So I got a little extra. I got me a little extra. And they put it in the corner of their tent. What happened the next morning when they woke up? Those of you who read the story, what happened the next morning? Maggots in the manna. That's a mess, isn't it? I'm not so sure that that isn't what happens in our life when we try to withhold from God, right? We live in fear instead of faith. Because remember, we said this last week, what is God trying to do in our life? Listen, what's God trying to do? He's trying to to teach us to walk by faith, not by sight and not by fear, to trust him. And the most difficult area in your life to trust God, listen, the most difficult area to trust God in your life is money. Sam Houston, when Sam Houston uh, came to faith in Christ and, and when he was going to be baptized, he, was, he, he wanted to be baptized with his wallet in his pocket. True story. He said, because I know this is going to be the hardest thing to be sanctified. He was right about that, right? Pretty good. Really, to be honest with you, that's why in the book of Exodus, I think it's one of the reasons why two different times, the same things told about raising money and, and for the tabernacle because it's tough, right? It's hard to trust him in that. Let's close with this, Exodus 36, verse three. Let's see how the story ends. This is, this is great. So Moses teaches the people, the people start giving and then watch what happens. You've never heard anything like this before. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary and the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, in other words, get, get this. In other words, get this. Here's the guys doing the work, and they said, time out. They walked off the job site, and they went to Moses and said, hey, we can't keep doing our work. We told them to stop bringing stuff. They keep bringing stuff. We can't even work here because there's so much stuff that we can't do the work. And so they go to Moses, and and they tell on the people. Tell on the people for doing what? Forgiven too much. This is the this is really one of the finest hours for the children of Israel. I mean, I grew up in church and just beating up on the Hebrews every Sunday morning in Sunday school. Right? We just beat up on them. Right? By all the mistakes they made. This is their finest hour. They trust God in this amazing way. Just keep 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 coming. And so they tell Moses on them. So verse six. Watch this. Moses has got to go back. No preacher has ever had to do this. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. Here's what Moses said No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. We're done. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. That word restrained really means tied to their tent. You know what? We're going to tie you up to your tent so you can't keep bringing stuff to God. Now, these people just coming out of slavery, they didn't have anything. What did they learn? Their faith, their obedience, intersected with the faithfulness of God, and God just kept providing, and it became a joy to give. It became a rhythm of their life. It became something that they were excited to do, and Moses had to stop them from giving. Verse 7, because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. I I believe this about our family of faith here at New Vision. I believe God's got a work for us to do in our city and in our world. Do you believe that? We're going, to, we're, going, we're going to do this on Christmas Eve. We're, I'll just give you a little hint. We're, get, we're going to take up an offering on Christmas Eve, just a Christmas Eve offering for, we, we, we think, the most marginalized children in our community, they're homeless kids living in week-by-week week hotels in our city over off of Church Street, uh, living in, in unimaginable circumstances and situations, and we're partnering with a group that's ministering to them in powerful ways. We're going to take up an offering for them. And, and, and I think the resources we need to make a difference in the life of that situation, they're already here. It's just a matter if we're going to release them. you believe that? I think that's true about everything. See, giving's always a chance for my faith. That's my obedience to intersect with the faithfulness of God. I never forget. We had a, a friend in our family one time who was helping Amy and I. When we were young. They were looking at our finances. He saw what we give and gave. And he said, you know what? I think this is foolish. He said, you know, you give your time to the church. I don't think you need to give. Uh, this money. I mean, and I'm not, not, my wife's much more generous than I am. That's just been a pattern of our giving, uh, of our life since we started out in marriage. It's the first 10% always goes to the Lord. We try to grow in that, and our life's just been a pattern. He said, that's foolish. One of my favorite quotes comes from a guy, Jim Elliott. Some of you know who Jim Elliott was in 1956. He was murdered in Ecuador by the Auken Indians. A group that later came, many of them came to faith in Christ because his wife went right back in there preaching the gospel. Amazing. Uh, I saw this this week. I love this quote, but I saw his journal this week, a picture of his journal. And just, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but just seeing his own private journal was so challenging for me. And here's what he said. This is an amazing quote. He said, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that a good word? He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. See, that, that, that's another thing, it just tells us our money really tells us what we believe about time. We're gonna live for the moment, we're gonna live in light of eternity. Hey, let's shut her down. Here it is, with God it's really not about the money, it's not, it never has been, but it's always been about the heart. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 6:21. powerful verse, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Jesus isn't after your money. If Jesus would have wanted your money, he'd have just taken it, Does that makes sense? right? But he is after your heart. And so you say, well, what's the, the point? Listen, listen to what he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also because spiritually it's just hard to know how you're doing, right? How are you doing? Good. Well, listen, as it relates to your heart, the core of who you are, who is preeminent there? Well, how would I know? Well, just look at what you treasure. The average evangelical Christian spends more on cable than they do giving to kingdom causes. Average evangelical Christian even dig a little bit deeper, spends more on pet care than the gospel. You see, nothing, here it is, nothing will give you a window into your soul like what we're doing with our resources. Nothing will show you the condition of your heart like your money will. And today, the point of this today is not a harvest of money coming into the church. We're not even taking up an offering. I mean, we got some black boxes if you want to give on your way out. That's cool, but we're not passing the plate. What's it about? A chance for you to stop. And maybe, just maybe, take a look at the condition of your heart. Because it's pretty clear to see where we're spending our money and where we're spending our time. And that just shows us what we treasure most. And for some of you, It opens your eyes to something that you've never seen before. The truth of the matter is that you've never treasured him most. You've really always lived like an owner. You've never received his grace and moved from death to life. And it's giving you a window into the hat. It's a great opportunity. I want to pray for us today. Father, thank you for this moment in time that we get a chance to get a glimpse into our soul and nothing will show us that. Like seeing what we do with our time and our talents and our financial resources. Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit reveal to us where our treasure is. And Father, show us a fresh and anew, show us an afresh and anew that you treasure us most of all. That's why you died so that we could be forgiven. And my prayer is right now, in this moment, someone here would trust you and you alone and begin to treasure you above all things. In Jesus' name.